I'm June Reith. And I'm Kyle Thompson. And you're listening to General Intellect Unit, and this time we are talking about The Peripheral, a novel by William Gibson that was published in 2014. Yeah, fun, fun bit of uh, late Gibson here, um, which um, I, I haven't read all, all of his uh, previous uh, works, but um, I was fond of the the Bridge t- trilogy, like that, um, uh, what the fuck were they called, like Virtual Light and, and those other two, and um, they were good fun. Um, this one's, I, I think, I like this book a lot. Um, I liked it when it came out, and, and I've liked it on reread. Um, I kind of, it didn't, on my first reading, it didn't entirely sink in just how grim this thing is. <laughs> yes, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I can understand that. If you were just uh, reading it casually, as opposed to with, like, a mind to discussing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. Because, um, um, and, like, I, it's, oh, uh, like, it, I think in the, in the vein of like the best cyberpunk, the like the most interesting thing about it is the setup and the setting um, and the kind of concepts that it introduces. the The plot is the plot is fine. The characters are fine, but um, the the setting really tickles me <laughs> in a big way. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's a I would I guess it's not a unique premise, but it is a very um, interestingly realized one. Mm-hmm. Um. Because the trick here is that it's um, it's split across two uh, timelines, um, and the, the the chapters like um, just alternate very quickly. Like each chapter is like two pages each, um, maybe three. Yeah, it's it's like sort of like it's it's like Dan Brown style uh, uh, pacing of like uh, like you know each chapter is like two pages or you know maybe ten something like that. Um, uh, very, very short chapters. Uh, real bite-sized stuff. And they alternate between the two timelines. Our two um, lead characters are Flynn uh, in, well, what I'll call the past, and uh, Wilf Netherton in um, in what I'll call the future. Both of these are actually in our future. Um, Flynn lives some, somewhere around the 2050s, I think. Um, 2040s, 2050s. In... In the middle of nowhere in America, somewhere in the south, somewhere, somewhere in the south, like maybe Appalachia-ish area thereabouts. Yeah, it has those vibes. Yeah, um, I'm sure you could actually triangulate it based on some of the places that are mentioned, um, but we're not going to do that right now. Um, and then Wilf Netherton lives about seventy years later, um, early twenty one twenties, maybe something like that. Um, in in London, and these two time periods are separated by a forty year slow motion apocalypse that in the future in the future is referred to as the jackpot, um, which is not not a single like so what what Gibson's doing here is that like it's it uh, we throughout most much of fiction we kind of imagine Armageddon as a single event or it's something that's spatially located um but no this is this is just a really bad time that stretches on for 40 or 50 years um yeah it's kind of like the mass like civilization collapse event at the end of like what is it the 1100s mid 1100s something like that the 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 yeah, the Bronze Age collapse or something, you know. Um. Yes, yeah, yeah, and and I I like what he does here because it's it's not like oh, uh, climate change is the apocalypse. It's it's climate change, but then all of the nonlinear feedback 
effects that go along with it and the fucked up society that existed prior to climate change. Um, it just, it, 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 it's called the jackpot because it's just like, you know, sort of everything came up in exactly the right way to just cause the worst possible outcome. Yeah. It's the dark jackpot. <laughs> it's the, it's the bad payout. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's dark humor, right. Um, to call it the jackpot. Um, and, and, and yeah, it, it's. It's also got stuff like, you know, pandemics and, you know, basically we are living in the jackpot as far as I can tell right now. Um, so he got his, he got his timeline roughly correct. Yeah. Um, well, like, yeah. I mean, um, I think Netherton even tells Flynn that, that she, she's living in the early stages of the jackpot and that she doesn't quite, doesn't quite realize it. Yeah, it, it's already started or it's about to start and it's not exactly clear. Like Lobier, the um, uh, spy master character, seems to have a clearer sense of, you know, what exactly initiates the jackpot than he does. But uh, it's it's like, you know, in her very, very near future, like a few months maybe, um, is, is kind of the situation. Yeah, and the the two timelines are entangled by a weird thing uh, that exists in the future. Um, there's like a, there's like a server you can connect to that then makes an informational connection to what they call stubs, which are like uh, begin as the past of that world, but then the fact that you've connected to it makes it split off into a different kind of timeline. Um, yeah, it's essentially like playing Victoria three or something like a paradox game. Like the, the, the initial starting conditions are identical to what existed historically, but then it diverges, um, you know, through the, it, the interaction with the observer or the agent that started it up. And, uh, uh, it's just like one of those historical simulations, but realized to the maximum degree of verisimilitude, uh, where it's it's kind of impossible to distinguish the simulacrum from the real thing, except if you are outside the stub and can say, oh yeah, that's a thing that exists on a server in China, as opposed to um, that is a real place. Uh, yeah, Which I think is, is very kind of... Um it's a very interesting theme in the in in this book, right? That like um, because like in in classic cyberpunk, you do you do this like telepresence stuff to project your project your mind into a virtual world, and that's where all the crazy possibilities exist, right? Um, but in in this one, like um, telepresence and pervasive telecommunications are still are very much a thing, but the kind of edgy cyberpunk like hacker stuff is is less emphasized. And the, the telepresence, like, takes you to other locations in reality, not to, like, they, they don't spend any time in virtual worlds here, really. No, the people in the past are, like, you know, the, the Flynn Fisher, the main character, is basically, like, an elite gamer, elite gamer girl. Um, uh, she She's, like, kind of uh, esports uh pro sort of um on her in her spare time and it does begin uh by playing some uh like video games uh online in, in virtual spaces uh but then of course after she's engaged in the present um that all goes by the wayside and we don't see any more of that and like 
the, the titular peripheral is this like replicant in the future, like this this brainless sort of quasi-human thing that you can telepresence into, like a remote remote piloting sort of thing. Flynn is invited to visit the future this way that like, you know, she put puts on her gamer headset and you know, like the fucking VR goggles. And, and but like, th- that's the interesting thing is it's not projecting into a virtual space, it's projecting into a real space in the future. And symmetrically... Yes, it's a virtual agent projecting into a real space. Right, but symmetrically from the future, they treat this um, stub thing as, uh, like, th- what do they call them? Like, continua um, enthusiasts. That's what it's, the, these hobbyists who basically use the the stubs and the continua as 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 entertainment right like it's it's basically it's almost a video game to a lot of them where they're they're doing telepresence back into the past or versions of the past um i don't know i find that to be a fun inversion that like they're they're not they're not fucking around in virtual worlds here it's it's all far too real yes uh yeah there's the 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 virtuality is something that sort of exists at fringes of of your awareness in the story uh, as opposed to something that's shoved in your face, like, oh, look at how synthetic and artificial this is, um, you know, like Lawnmower Man or whatever. Like, it is not that. It is a world that is, to the people in it, very real, and to the people interacting with it, over time it becomes very real to them as well, despite being a uh, digital simulacrum. And I, I, I kind of I love the contours of the story as well around how these people get involved with each other across these times. Right, that like basically like uh, Netherton like gives gives like a gift to to somebody he's interested in. Right, and the gift is um, I've hired through one of through this this stub thing I've hired somebody to fly a security drone for you um, around your house. And then well actually the re- the recipient uh, Data West just goes ah fuck this and passes it on to her sister uh, Alita West. Um, but that, that's a that's a very dark and weird concept of like I've paid somebody in the past or a version of the past to to do what they think is beta testing a video game by flying a drone around your house every night to like you know do security or whatever. Yeah, so to keep the paparazzi away is the is the the mission. And um, one of these nights, uh, Burton, uh, like Flynn's brother, is is. Um, He's, he's, he, what's he doing? He's, he's like going, he, he goes to like counter protest some religious fundamentalists. He gets arrested by Homeland Security. Um, and Flynn has to do the, do the, do the assignment for him or else they lose out on the money. Yeah, it was originally going to be her brother who is running the job, but then she ends up doing the job as a favor to him because he's going to go, uh, fuck with some Westboro Baptist church people. Um, Flynn immediately notices that, like, this looks a lot like London, except none of the lights are turned on, and there's, like, three cars in the streets uh, that you can see. And she thinks, oh, they haven't figured out the textures yet because it's a beta, and they haven't figured out the, drive, the, the like, driving AI. Um, and so she just kind of brushes it off. Um, does this little little security run around an apartment, sees two people on a, on a balcony or whatever. Um, and then the next day does the same sort of thing, but then... Uh, the woman on the balcony gets eaten by a swarm of nanobots um, and killed. Um, yeah, just just absolutely like disintegrated. It's like a one of those like disintegrator rays from Star Trek that like the Romulans use or whatever. 
Yeah. Yeah, but the, the description of this is, is horrible as well, where it's like um, it's like a plastic bag that crawls the side of the building and then unleashes this swarm of um, fucking nanoflies or whatever. Um, Flynn comes away with the impression this this doesn't seem like a game, does it, right? Um, and she's she's just witnessed a murder in the future. Um, yeah, it's, it's so, like, gruesome that it's kind of like, why would anyone pay to play this? This is really fucked up and sick. Yeah. And, like, she, she's been playing, like, she'll, she'll do flashbacks to being, you know, in the esports, whatever thing of, um, or she, she's being paid by somebody to, like, you know, be her lieutenant in a game or whatever that's like a World War II reenactment or some shit. And, you know, she, it, it, that stuff is plenty gruesome, but this strikes her as in, incredibly weird and, and fucked up. Um, um, which it is, because it's not a game. <laughs> um, so that's how this kind of entanglement starts with um, Netherton then kind of like has to. Oh, the, 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 the whole start of. Nether, Netherton is the uh, Netherton is the person in the present who gifted uh, Lynn's or sorry Flynn and her brother's services. Uh, yeah, that's that's who that is. In yeah, in in the in 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 Netherton's timeline, then it's kind of all about like getting getting together for this kind of like well, okay, uh, Elita West is missing you might have access to the only person who might have seen anything that might have happened to her. Um, did, uh, Inspector Lobier um, of what seems to be the Metropolitan Police, but something much worse and more powerful than that in future London uh, gets involved. Yeah, it's like Metropolitan Police slash uh, MI5 slash MI6 slash uh, private Pinkerton security slash you know, whatever oppressive structure you want to throw in there. Um, she gets involved. And, like, this book is quite slow. Like, this plays out... These these two interleaving stories play out over, like, a good couple of chapters. Like, it's... You're getting to the quarter mark of the book by the time you're actually getting this stuff to come together, right? Yeah, it's, it's very fast and disorienting at the start of the book um, in, in a really Gibson way. Like, there's a very sort of common... Um, writing technique he uses of of thrusting you into a world and overwhelming you with so many details without the relevant context uh, that you just you're just scrambling to try to understand what's going on. Um, oh, but I do I do love the de- the little details though because like um like it's full of these little evocative phrases like. You know, Flynn makes reference to a legally purchased cigarette, which just, oh, tell me more of the story behind that, you know? Or, like, how how did Homeland Security come to be the replacement for the police force, you know? Um, tell me the story behind that. But all of this shit is just, you're, it's a barrage of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of get the sense that, like, the only functional thing about the American government that's left is the security apparatus and is... And like it's kind of like you have the the military abroad and then homeland security at home and and this like oppressive regulationary monolith is really that's all the it's it's really all that's left of America. Um and and everything else is just completely hollowed out. Um so so it's pr- pretty close to reality. Um just just like one inch further in that direction, you know? Right, exactly. It's it's only a couple of decades into the future, right? But, like, I mean, Flynn's mom is like, hey, remember when there was a, a hospital on fucking Willow Road or whatever, you know? Um, yeah, like, when there used to be some kind of social services or, like, 
civilian administration that wasn't just purely about uh, maintaining order. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the fun symmetries of the um, the book is that like Flynn lives in this like desolate hinterland, um, whereas Netherton lives in the the, the metropole, right? But like n- neither of them like the, the metropole isn't really a metropole. It's it's this mm-hmm. weird, but they they are mirrored. It, it's it's like it's a simulacrum of a metropole. It's large. It's built. It's built environment, but. Nobody there is doing the kinds of jobs you would expect in a metropole. There's only really a ruling class uh, and some hangers on. Uh, and 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 there are a lot of sort of um, theme park like uh, almost like either installation art or like altered reality theme park areas that uh, are used to refer back to British history um, so as to like give the people there some sense of rootedness in time and space um, which they would not otherwise have because the jackpot was so disorienting and traumatic that like the continuity of the past is something you can only sort of will into existence through creating these art pieces. Right, sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, I think for the listeners, it's also kind of important that, like, the future society after the jackpot is very technically advanced. Like, one, one of the things that gets them through it is the invention of, like, nanobots that um, are first are initially tasked with cleaning up all the corpses because a colossal majority of humanity dies and actually a colossal majority of all biomass on the Earth dies. Um you kind of get the impression there might only be two million people left in the world, you know? Yeah, yeah, thereabouts, yeah. It's, it's like, very, very low population numbers remaining. It's a kind of dark, it's like a dark Star Trek, in a way, that, like, it's, it has that, po- it has that post-scarcity, like, technical foundation, but it doesn't have any of the communism. It's, it's a kind of ossified, kind of post-capitalist world that is actually more, more feudal in its structure. Um, it's feudal, but without the extractive apparatus of feudalism, right? It's just it. it it's just the lords and ladies squabbling with each other and nothing else. <laughs> because because like all the service work is done by either by AIs, AI controlled robots, or whatever. Um, and it, it seems you, yeah, you can just conjure anything into existence with a replicator. Um, so like power in that world is not. It's, it does seem to be post-capitalist in that it, it doesn't have, like, extraction of surplus value through labor, um, or control of labor, or, or command of labor, and, like, it doesn't have that, like, accumulation loop of gaining more command of labor to get more surplus value. Um, instead, power seems to be corresponding to direct deployment of technological force, you know, that it's, it's a matter of who has the biggest and best computers and the biggest and best nanobot swarms. And the best assassins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's a very brutal future. Yeah, it's very, like, Dune, but not in space and more so. <laughs> um, and I think, is, is it Lobier or Ash who kind of makes the direct comparison to, like, feudal kind of power relations that, like... <sighs> I think it's... I can't remember. It could be either of them, honestly. I just... I don't, I don't quite recall. Um... 
but yeah, the, the, the people who do exist in the future, um, such as Inspector Lobier or, uh, Wilf Netherton or, um, Ash, uh, who is the brother of one of, uh, Netherton's friends who is like, uh, sort of um, a princeling who has inherited part of, like, a Russian mafia fortune. So, um, so yeah, so that, it's Lev, Lev Zubov, who is, like, a um, Russian oligarch failson or something, and I, I think Ash is his, like, techno-wizard lady person. Oh, sorry, I thought they were related for some reason. I, yeah. I, I, always, I thought they were employee. I don't know, maybe. Um, but so you've got, you've got Ash and Oshin, who, Oshin is the kind of security or like butler kind of guy, and Ash is the technical, the technical person. Um, and they're under Lev, his umbrella. And so like his kind of house in Notting Hill is the kind of base of operations for some of this stuff, because Lev is the continuum enthusiast through which Netherton bought Burton's services. And so they're, they're all kind of mutually involved in this thing when it, when it kind of becomes obvious that like, Hey shit, Elita West is missing. Fuck. Um, I wonder if your drone guy might've seen anything. And then, you know, they, they, they try to, you know, they're trying to like get into, it's, it's kind of funny, right? There's a really funny couple of chapters where they're trying to like, um, get back in touch with Burton to try and establish what happened. But they also have to like, they then remember, oh shit, we have to pretend that we are people in the past. So they, they like drag out an old computer monitor and they get like an old webcam to make yes. the call. <laughs> but the thing is, they overshoot by like a decade because when Flynn... Yes, yeah. When, when Flynn sees it, she's like, that that's a really old computer you're using, you know, like on, on the screen or whatever. Um, yeah, even for their time, it's like... <laughs> very outdated it's it's like if you had one of those like four by three 15 hertz flat panels that have like you know super washed out colors and like you know you only see them in offices these days um yeah it's it's uh very funny it's so funny it's so funny that they they don't know how to talk to people in the past convincingly and how to keep up the illusion that they're not from the future um because they're they're going through like a shell operation um so from flynn's perspective or from burton's perspective they're being hired by milagros cold iron uh, based out of um panama or something uh, columbia um, columbia and right that's it and so they, they kind of think that they're talking to the colombians but then why are these colombians english is one of the first thing that comes to their mind um and like, because their their office is in the in the future, their office is in like the back of um, what is it, a Mercedes land yacht? Is is how it's described? Like this gargantuan RV, like high tech thing. Yeah, it, it, well, because like um, Lev, uh, the, the 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 sort of the fail son, this, this princeling, the the continuum continua enthusiast. Um, it's like, what is it? His dad was. Yeah, his dad was, like, this, like, gray eminence, like, you know, serious business, major power broker sort of guy. And, like, he has this land yacht for driving around. Like, he kind of just, like, had it commissioned as, like, a fun thing to do of, like, I'm going to go drive around the desert. Um, It's kind of like running the Dakar rally <laughs> these days for rich people. But, like... Right. Instead, it's like, what if there weren't enough people to actually hold a rally and you just went by yourself with a couple friends in your big land yacht and drove around the desert? Um, 
and and so like they're, they're they're sort of all living in the like almost like this museum of stuff that lev's dad has that's that's it's like he he was big and important and actually did things and lev is just like you know kind of like existing in that space yeah <laughs> even he's living in the hollowed out ruins of the past you know um yeah 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 um, yeah it's just a, it's a very funny setting and like uh, there's something i love about it that like um netherton is clearly an alcoholic in this but like there's um you know that the the little bar that's in the the mini bar that's in the in the fucking land yacht it's like everyone else can open it with their thumb thumbprint but he can't like he's being constantly blue balled when he's trying to get a gin and tonic it's very funny yeah yeah because like everybody around him has to basically keep him on a leash so that he can do his job uh because you know he is such a um compulsive alcoholic that he will just cause all kinds of problems if he's not like uh restrained um from drinking in any situation um yeah and 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 his alcoholism is like you know a result of being alienated from his present as this like really fucked up uh world horrified by the jackpot and um also uh not being interested in these like neo-primitivist people who are like also trying to create simulacra of the past by like it they're 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 trying to create some kind of outside to the society they live in by pretending that they're quote unquote primitives um, and, and, and sort of ho- like, you know, ad hoc throwing together anthropological resources to create a sense of being something other than this suffocating society they live in. But, but, but uh, Wilf Netherton despises them as well <laughs> because what they're doing is not authentic and he wants authenticity, um, which is why he gets very interested in the stub, right? Is, is because this is the kind of authentic past that he can become emotionally invested in outside of his alcoholism. Um, because it, 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 it's, it's convincing. It's, it's, it's a, it's a very, uh, realistic, uh, simulacrum in a way that these these kind of LARP events that the neo primitives set up uh, is not. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, and there's a bit we kind of missed at the this it, again the interleaving weirdness of the book. But like at the start of Netherton's story, um, he's like he's a PR guy or something. He's like in fucking I don't know some sort of publicist. That's what it is. He's um, uh, kind of following along with like his his client Daedra West is th- is this like artist slash like diplomat slash fucking something like some weird sort of pers- um, public celebrity person um, who's on her way to visit the the patch like the the Great Pacific Garbage Patch has congealed into an actual island now and these neo primitivists are are there like building this um, alternate society or whatever. Um, yeah, like they're they've they've used like nanobots to build like a sort of 
island out of the garbage patch and they're living there. I, I kind of love how repulsed Netherton is by this. That like it because like it has that like sickening kind of sweaty gray plastic kind of thing that you get with like milk bottles and, and whatever. Um, and he fucking hates it. Like to, to him, it's like the fucking, you know, city of Arlia or whatever, like Cthulhu's going to fucking come out of it or something. You know, it's, it's this like diseased place. Yes, yes, yes. There's there's something very, very Lovecraftian about uh, the description of the of the neo-primitive uh, LARPers in the in, in, in this uh, place, yeah. There's actually something I love about that early scene where, um, like, it kind of starts out with Netherton, Nether- again, the Gibson thing of dumping you into a really baffling situation. Like, Netherton is on the phone to this lady called Rainey, who then forwards him to, like, a video feed from, like, the deck of this um, hovercraft or whatever that's approaching the island. And then I think he, he gets forwarded a couple of times. Like, it's, this, it's doing this, like, pervasive telepresence, uh, pervasive, like embedded in your skull, like, networking, and, like, the phone is in your skull, that kind of shit. Um, and it's it's super disorienting. Uh, but basically, like, this interaction where, you know, Daedra fucking parachutes down into the, 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 the patch city or whatever goes badly wrong when she ends up, like, killing the their leader. Um, and it, even, even that's fascinating, because, like... Um, I don't know. She, it, 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 from Netherton's perspective, it looks like she gets too close to him, which triggers her personal security system, which automatically kills him. And then, from out of nowhere, these like drones descend from the sky and just start shredding everyone. Um, and that's kind of where he backs out of the the call, I guess, like disconnects. But it's again super disorienting. You know, it's it's yes, it's sort of like her her like subversive art piece was to like murder everybody there. Um, uh yeah because like she's very like into like super edgy art of like uh was it she like has like her entire skin peeled off and turned into an art piece and then she gets like a new skin after that or something that's like her thing right and, and gets it gets a tattooed you know and like everybody everybody pays for like um funko pop like replicas of this stuff you know um um Pretty weird stuff, and it's kind of left a bit ambiguous as to whether that was an accident or a kind of deliberate part of the interaction. Um, and spoiler, it turns out to be deliberate, um, you know. Um, but that's, yeah, I don't know, like, Netherton's thing, like, the, the, the variety of um, responses to the jackpot are interesting, because you get Lev Zubov, who seems to be totally ambivalent to it, except for, like, being interested in pre-jackpot stubs or whatever. Um yeah, mm-hmm. it's like he—he's like a, a sort of a historical miniatures hobbyist. Is is kind of like his like curiosity based interaction in the pa- with the past. Yeah, but but other than that, he he reminds me of like um, in Children of Men. You have the guy who lives in the the power station, the Battersea power station, with the, the Pink Floyd pig outside, and. You know, when asked about the catastrophe that's unfolding around them, he just says, I try not to think about it. You know, that, that reminds me a lot of Lev. Um, you've got Netherton, who just, who hates the world he lives in and also hates the fucking Patchers, like the, um, the neo-primitivists and stuff. Um, you've got Ash, who makes a point of, like, wearing black all the time, really goth sort of attire. And, and like, her skin is covered in, like, living tattoos of extinct animals, like giraffes and stuff like that, just walk around on her skin. So she's in public sort of display of mourning. Um, but she can't do much of anything about it. But then Lobier um, is somebody who actually lived through the jackpot. Um, Lobier, she, she's 120 years old or something at this point. 
but doesn't look it, you know? Um, and she has the power and the resources and the will to actually interfere with a version of the past to try and steer it away from the jackpot. Um, so you get a nice spectrum. Yeah, she has, like, a sort of um, personal investment in altering the direction of the stub of the past, the simulated past, um, because she actually lived through it and has, like, you know... Um, a sort of personal investment in her own failings during those events um, and trying to make things right. Like she, at the beginning of the book, she actually has like her memories like suppressed um, of the jackpot because it's like too traumatic for her to live with on a long-term basis. Um, and then like for the purposes of doing this operation of trying to change things back then, uh, in the stub, uh, she reaccesses or re-enables those memories um, and sort of reconnects with that past. Right, because she can... Well, in, in general, everyone in the future who connects to the stub can manipulate the past in a pretty incredible way because they have information, not necessarily about precisely how things are going in the stub right now, but it's, it's enough information and enough computing power in the future to be able to outmaneuver most things in the past. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a combination of like you know technological capacities and then also just uh, foreknowledge of of what's going to come. Yeah. So for Lilbeer, I mean, like ev everybody knows that in in the past, like very slightly after Flynn's time, the president of the United States will be assassinated, and that's one of the big things that precipitates the worst parts of the of the jackpot. Um, but Lilbeer also happens to know precisely how to avert that. Um, because she was a CIA agent back then at the time, actually, you know, or, you know, she was MI5 at the time and, you know, in retrospect, maybe could have intervened. I think she was, was she, she I think she was actually working for the Americans, but she was like an expat from the UK. I think that's, yeah, that was kind of her thing. And then, um, you know, she, because she was, um... Like, essentially, at that time, she didn't have the full story of what was going on. Uh, and she was obviously, like, institutionally constrained in what she could do. But, you know, having that knowledge that old Lobier has um, about, you know, like, in her subsequent investigations, figuring out what exactly went on... Um, she can do something different, right? She she has enough information to be able to make some different calls. Um, and, and then also, of course, has access to all of the resources that come with Cold Iron and Flynn's people. Yeah, exactly right. And that's that's why she's getting involved here is that, well, the reason is that, like, I mean, she's, she's an officer of the Metropolitan Police or something and is very interested in the fact that Alita West seems to have been murdered. And just wants to know who was the murderer. And then, like, you know, we need the the witness to ID the perp, right? That's that's her basic uh, objective. And that's that's the kind of the two overlapping stories for the middle of the book is that um, in the past, uh, Flynn and Burton and all their buddies are experiencing this kind of ratcheting, um, worsening security situation um, as there's assassins being sent after them um, that are, you know, being directed by equivalents to the Cold Iron people. Like the, the Cold Iron people know that somebody else is in the stub as well, um, trying to get to them. So there's this there's this kind of war between 
Cold Iron and what they call Matryoshka, the other party, to gain kind of like economic technological information supremacy in the past. <laughs> to to like ever so like um you know over the course of the novel uh, Cold Iron ends up like es establishing a base of operations in the United States and buying out the equivalent of Walmart and buying most of the country and dominating the world economy all in the space of a couple of days in a, in a few days this all happens right um and they they eventually get the upper hand over Matryoshka but there is there is assassination attempts there is like you know the people have to like build a fort and all that kind of shit to try to protect themselves. Um, yeah, they, they, they essentially have like the computing capacity to, um, uh, use, uh, algorithmic trading to corner the entire world market. Um, and that's how they actually are able to accumulate wealth within the sub. Like, cause you can't, you can't directly transfer money from the future to the past, but you can use your information uh, processing capacity to capture money, um, and that's that's how that whole thing plays out. They, they like Cold Iron has um, a fleet of like students at the London School of Economics working on this to like uh, get them, and Matryoshka has marginally better interns uh, for a little while, and then they get outmaneuvered. It's just. Um, that's the kind of tension there, and then in the future, in in the future, yeah, it's like they're trying to trying to keep Flynn alive in the past so that she can be brought to the future via telepresence in this peripheral thing, uh, where she puts on her game gamer goggles and wakes up in what feels like a functional human body in the future. Um, they need to, because like what's going to happen is Daedra West will have hold a, a party, a kind of like funeral for her sister, and this Lobier's deep suspicion is that whoever killed her like the other person that was present on the balcony will be there and so they need somebody with eyes there to actually do the positive id um there's a kind of like the, the only way they can make this work in the plot is if um like because like L london in the future is this pervasive surveillance state um like because ev everything is slick with nanobots as well because like um it, one of the things she notices is that like london is absolutely fucking spotless because um, the nanobots that were tasked with cleaning up all the corpses after the jackpot are now tasked with just keeping everything completely pristine. Um, but like the whole infrastructure of the city is pervasively tied through with um, surveillance and all kinds of information, you know, the usual IT, IT stuff, right? Um, except for in special places like, you know, um, Zubov's family's house, which is like, it's a black zone for this kind of surveillance. And Elita West's tower happens to be one of these black zones. So it's an exception to the usual general rule of surveillance. Because, um, like, L Lobier basically knows everything about everything in London, except for this one fact, which is very relevant um, to her interests. Um, she she has, she has, like, suspicions about who was the killer, but she doesn't have evidence, um, which matters to her as a cop. Uh, um... And so there's there's a lot of like a lot of the um a lot of the, like the actual plot of the book is fairly light but like it's it's just like there's a lot of window dressing of like the characters milling around and doing things and like they do a test run where they bring Flynn to the future via the peripheral and all that kind of stuff and you know she has to go she has to go back every couple of hours for a toilet break that kind of thing you know it's it's a very lived in sort of thing right um, especially with the alternating perspectives. You you get like the same. You get two different characters' perspectives on each scene, right? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of it's kind of like uh, 
kind of reminds me of like 24, like that sort of like conceit of, of, of like, you know, real time. Like there is, there are time skips in the book, but it's very like, you know, um, continuous the story uh like in a, in a short period of time all this stuff goes down because like everything everything that happens in the book is supposed to happen in a about five or six days maybe like at, at most um which is quite good um the yeah so i mean that's a lot of the sort of middle part and like I don't know, a lot of it is setting up conversations. Like, it, it feels like it takes 20 or 30 pages for them to, like, set up a conversation between Flynn and Lobeer, you know, um, and get some some stuff like that. Um, but it is it is quite fascinating stuff. Um, at some point, Flynn is ca- is kidnapped, and then they kill kidnappers, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, the, the, local, the local drug kingpin in her town is purchased by Matryoshka um, and kidnaps her. And then uh, her brother and his buddies, who are all ex-military, like, special ops guys, um, they go and save her with the help of the Cold Iron people um, and and uh, blow the drug facility to kingdom come. <laughs> Accidentally, it seems. Um, but, like, what's the thing? that They, they were um, they were haptic recon, right? And, like, they're... Yes, um... yeah. They're basically, like cybernetically enhanced um spec ops people yeah but now they're left with the remnants of the implants and like these kind of like scaly textures on their skin you know like where the the hookups and connections are you know the like little circuit board things on their skin or whatever and these these glitch right there they're it's the thing like there's a lot of disabled veterans in this story right yeah well i mean cyberpunk is always like very um close and and fascinated with disability, right? It's, it's, it kind of fetishizes prosthesis and, and sort of technological, um, answers to disabilities, um, as, as a source of like alterity of like, of the, of the future being different than the present. Um, uh and and you know so like robot limbs like ghosts in the shell you have entire robot bodies or you know what have you right it's 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 always sort of a, a part of that but um this story focuses on um like yeah disabled veterans to a greater degree i suppose than than many of these stories um it's all quite on the nose with like um the character of connor right who's like um severely disabled in the past but like um they they need to bring like you know flynn needs to go to the future in a in a sort of convincing peripheral and they need like what they what they initially think is they're going to get Burton to come along with her to act as like security whatever but Connor ends up doing the job even though he's like mentally quite unstable and they're they're quite worried about how he's going to perform here but he's fucking thrilled to have an act like a functioning body in the future um yes yeah it's it's not just functioning it's like you know the the peripheral is specifically made to be um like a, a a dueling partner, right? Like a sparring partner. Um, so it's it's you know super fit and like Olympian level physique kind of thing, yeah. right? And so he's he's thrilled uh, with that, um, which is quite sweet. Um, um, what else we got from like the middle section here? I feel like there was a lot of stuff that um, 
that I thought was very interesting at the moment, but um, I might might be forgetting. Oh, there's the um, the detail with like th this is something that I'm really surprised slipped past me, and like I didn't rec recall. But um, um, Griff is that his name in the past? Yeah, so like there, there's um, there's this really I think Gibson does a great job of weaving this little story together where um. There's a scene in the future where Netherton accompanies Lobier to go visit a friend who runs, like, an antique shop. Um, the friend's name is... Oh, shit, I've forgotten. Um, but anyway, she she kind of, like, lets slip that, like, she's also about 120 years old. Like, she's from the same time period as, as Lobier is. Like, they both went through the, the jackpot. And they know each other because... Um, this, this other person was, I think, CIA, and they knew... Lobier as like an English spy or something, you know, it's, it's, just, it's this jokey, friendly back and forth sort of thing of like, ah, I know, yeah, we're old friends from the old days. Yeah, they might have been like romantically involved back before the jackpot kind of thing. But they, they, they know each other from, from the job, right? Um, and then in, the, in Flynn's timeline, when they're setting up this like base of operations um, to, to do this stuff, they, Cold Iron is, is helicoptering in more and more like professionals to like manage the place and so the professional security forces they end up with are seemingly borrowed cia people uh, of which one of them is this this person and like well obviously it's a different person now because diver diverging timelines uh, but you know lobier's friend and uh you know i think flynn notes this as like huh that's fucking interesting but then she also notices this other person griff um who seems to be a, a, an english spy and then she puts it together and it's like holy shit that's lobier like, Lobier's trans and 120 years old. Yes. <laughs> and the reason that Griff is involved is that Lobier got in contact with her old self and, like, through the stub, probably quite a while before this all started to happen. She's had contact with herself in the past and obviously was able to convince Griff very easily that she is who she says she is. It sort of seems to be implied in the dialogue that uh, she convinced Griff that she was actually the same person from the future by, like, saying, like, I know you're trans and closeted, actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, now, you would think that this detail of this book would have stuck with me from five years ago. <laughs> But it didn't. <laughs> this came as a fucking surprise to me this time around because I, I remember in our in our in our little in our group chat, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like I got to that part of the book and I was like, "Holy shit!" Do you think Griff might be Lobier? And then I turned a couple of pages and I was like, "Holy!" Yeah. Um, you think it would have made an impression on me? But no, apparently. No. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's 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 such a fun little detail and. There's there's something I like about it. There's something I like quite a bit um, because I was I was initially a little bit hurt. I couldn't quite figure out how I felt about this because um, the thing is that like when a little bit later when Flynn Flynn actually just asks Lobier directly and it's like hey is is Griff you and she's like yeah yeah totally um, and then Flynn is kind of awkward about it. She's like uh, do, do you not mind me knowing this secret and Lobier is just like but it's not a secret to you is it you know like she's very blasé about it and. Uh, as a trans woman, that brings up some feelings of, like, you know, I, I obviously don't like being dead named or whatever, and that sort of thing. And it, I, I couldn't help but project that onto Lobier as, like, doesn't, doesn't that feel like it's something kind of transgressive? And I think, now, you, you could just say, oh, well, Gibson's just insensitive somehow. But I, I don't think that's what's going on here. 
Because Gibson to me always seemed like he was fairly clued in with this kind of stuff. Yeah, there's sort of a there's a there's a mention in the um, acknowledgments at the end of the book that maybe it seems to suggest he consulted with somebody about about this uh, quite a bit. Um, one of his acquaintances. From what I know of Gibson, that seems like what would happen, right? Like he he does seem to be very sensitive to this stuff. So I think insensitivity is probably ruled out. What I think makes this work is that. Um, as, as a trans person, if you're, like, dead named or whatever, or you're, like, shown a fucking photograph of yourself from a while ago, the, you're, you're usually in a kind of, you're not in a position of power about it. It's usually something that's done to you involuntarily and stuff like that. And it's, it, that's, it's all very uncomfortable. But for Lobier, she's operating from a position of power and, and strength. And this is a kind of, she's doing this on her own terms. She did this. She contacted herself in the past and she steered all this using her transness to kind of steer this position of power. Um, she's, she's holding all the cards. There's no reason for her to feel bad about it. And I kind of like that. Yeah. Like, like, like Flynn's discovery of, uh, the connection between Griff and Lobier is kind of a consequence of a process that, low beer herself initiated and like already already had that reckoning with her past prior to any of that happening um and 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 is not vulnerable in any way because of it because like this is a simulation like eliminating griff in the past would have no no effect on Lobier in the future. It wouldn't like eliminate her from the timeline or like in a time travel story or something. It is, it is a, a separate person with the same past as her. Um, yeah. So, so she's, she's not vulnerable and, and basically treats it as like, well, I got this all going and you figured that out, but I chose to get this going kind of thing. Right, she, she holds the cards, she's holding the steering wheel. It's very different from when, you know, like what, what people do, either accidentally or deliberately, it's, it's your, 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 your dead name is something that's wielded against you, either accidentally or deliberately. There's, there's nothing you can wield against Lobier here, you know? It's like, yeah, she's, she, she, she's the one who initiated it. Um, and so I, I ended up liking this quite a bit. Yeah, this is, this is a fun little, fun little detail. Yeah. Yeah, and it was probably, like, you know, part of her thought process of, like, okay, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go talk to my past self, I've got to psych myself up for that, but also as a consequence of, like, activating this past self as one of my agents, it's probably going to come up at some point that somebody's going to find that connection, and I'm okay with that, right? It's not a shock to her in any way. Which, that's, that's, the cru- that's one of the crucial differences, yeah, is that, like... Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're like a normal trans person today, or whatever, if if you get dead named, it comes as a shock and all that kind of stuff. But like to her, it's not right. Like it's it's not that. Yeah, again, she's in she's in control of the whole thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Really good fun. Um, that was um, and like, so, but also like, <laughs> I should have seen it coming because like even when Lobier is introduced, <laughs> she's introduced as like really tall with big shoulders and shit like that. You know. <laughs> um, and then the thing that Flynn, like, notices to make the connection is that, like, um, you know, she has big hands like Griff has or whatever. It's it's the most obvious clocky stuff, you know, <laughs> which I think is kind of sure, sure. cute. You know? <laughs> um, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Gibson was like, okay, so what are the tells that I could use to his friend? <laughs> um there's another thing I love from around this sort of time when um like uh Netherton goes back to the past. Um but like by um it's it's like an iPad on a stick, you know? And like uh they 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 send the blueprints to the past to like make the um so what they're doing a lot of the time is transferring technology. Like the the gamer headset that uh, Flynn can actually use to connect to the peripheral is one that they've tell, they've transferred the designs from the future to the past to have them three D printed. And it's kind of the same thing that goes on here, but they just use like an off the shelf Walmart iPad like on a stick thing. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like those like BB eight toys from the the new Star Wars trilogy, but with like uh just an iPad stuck on it with like you can see the other person's face and and, t- and talk to them. But yeah, it's described as like a small Segway with a with an iPad attached to it, and it's just like but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other yeah. <laughs> being on this little fucking goofy thing going around in the past with like you know, and to him it looks terrible because it's like through a shitty webcam, and he's a, he's accustomed to like sixteen K fucking resolution, you know. But he's like into it because that is a sign of authenticity to him and he's looking for authenticity. And so that is like something that effectively, you know, draws him into the situation as opposed to being like an, uh, uh, a block or a barrier. <laughs> uh, it's very, very funny. It's 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 like me with like my my like CRT collecting obsession. Like it's it's very silly um kind of stuff, yeah. That's a lot of fun. It's very yeah, it it reminds me of that thing you can do where like just for fun you play a video game but you set it to like six hundred by four hundred resolution just for the laugh. And, like, exactly. <laughs> yes. It's like oh yeah. it looks just like Quake did back in the day, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what else we got from around here? I think there's a lot of really fun details that paint a lot of a big picture of the kind of nightmarish future that um, that like Netherton lives in. Um, there's just a lot of small little details that get painted, um, and a lot of details of the desperation and shittiness that uh, Flynn lives in. Yeah, like um, you know, in in Netherton's case. It's like there's no material want for him or anybody he knows, really. But they have, like, a kind of spiritual affliction that is, like, so deep that they they are just kind of, like, dissociated. It, 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 like, I guess what I would describe is what I usually experience as, like, a dissociated state of being. Um, where, like, they are going through the motions of living, but there is no vigor to their lives. There's no uh, impetus for them to achieve anything or strive for anything. It's like, it's very the end of history um, uh, vibes there. Um, And then, and then in Flynn's case, you know, they're living in desperate poverty. uh, Like her mom needs meds. And that's why she's grinding these games. And like, you know, her brother is um, disabled because the implants he got as a soldier, because like he he joined the military because there's nothing else to do in this town. Um, They like malfunction sometimes and cause him like pain and discomfort. 
Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're living in sort of rural poverty, their town's very like hollowed out. It's run by, you know, sort of your local petty drug lords and, and, and like really the only industry is drug manufacturing in the, in the area. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's really very desperate situation, but they don't have that, um, that same sense of like deep, deep malaise and ennui and, and dissociation. Uh, they, they have passions, um, in a way that people after the jackpot do not. They have a fairly vibrant social life and, you know, circle of friends and that kind of thing, um, which is quite nice. Did we, um, oh, another fun, I think, really lovely detail. It's just one of these things that suggests the whole world, which is the kind of thing I like, is that, like, the, um, the, like, the jacket with the hydrophobic coating that Flynn fucking hates because it's, and, like, um, and, like, it's, it's, like, what, like, her uncle got it in the Korean War, not the one that Burton fought in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then they sprayed it with this hydrophobic coating that, like, freaks her out because, like, it's not, it's, it, nothing is supposed to act that way, you know? Um. Sure. Yeah. 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 And, like, she, um, she remembers the, like, the tapes they showed her in school about how it causes cancer or whatever, <laughs> that kind of shit. Um. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, um, did we did we talk about like the the sort of mirrored political economy of this kind of worlds? Because like there's a symmetry between like the um, the hinterland of the past and the apparent metropole of the future, but then it's very hard to work out like um, what the the sort of political economy of the future really is. Because like it, it suggests this like dark Star Trek sort of thing. Um, but you, it, it, for us at least as Marxists, it's very hard not to think of like, where the fuck are the proles? Like, where's the labor that goes into this stuff? But what's on screen really suggests that that's not the case at all. There just isn't, there isn't a functional proletariat. Like maybe Wilf Netherton is as close to a prole as you get. Yeah, like one of these sort of um, hangers on of the court, right? Um, uh, uh, like a, a minor... Uh, official of the court is kind of like his his role and he has a uh he has a friend who works for the government um and who is uh like his his love interest later on um but she has kind of like a similar level like uh professional white collar ish job um but there's no depiction anywhere of anybody doing any like low status jobs whether that's menial labor or uh whether that's care work or um service jobs like they're all just done by robots or provided uh materially by um replicators right so it really does suggest that like you know, and th- this is initially why I thought this this book was turned into a, a TV series by Amazon, because I was like, well, this is the future that like Bezos and his ilk dream of. Right. It's 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 very like uh, Galt's Gulch, but uh, but without anything outside of Galt's Gulch, <laughs> like the whole world is just that uh, there's there are no more masses. There are no more proletarians. There is no more uh, uh, 
relationship between uh, labor and capital, no more dynamic relationship that 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 drives capitalism. It is just the elite and nobody else is left alive. Um, it really seems that way. And like I, I tried to turn it over in my head and make it work the other way. And I think the only way you could do it is that like, um, so you have the robots, like the, the porcelain faced sort of robot servants, whatever. Yeah, these like uh, very like orientalized uh, uh, Michikoid uh, uh, dro- robots. They, they, they just make me think of those... Um, uh, the robots in uh, Ghost in the Shell 2, uh, Innocence, uh, the sort of um, uh, geisha robots that, that are, that like their their faces explode outwards. Um, I kind of pictured that, but with like a little bit of the, um, the, the like smooth eye robot robots from the, uh, the Will Smith movie, the like I did not murder him uh, <laughs> robots. <laughs> Yeah, right. Those kind of guys. Um, but like, so th- those exist in contrast to the peripherals, right? Like where, which are much more human and t- telepresence sort of driven. And I, I kind of started to put together like a headcanon where the Michikoids are actually, are actually telepresence driven as well, but they're, they're driven by proletarians who like telepresence in from the fucking hinterlands. They're like deliberately excluded from London. You know, they live in fucking slums out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and that, that that's how service work is done or whatever. And then the peripherals would be an, a deliberate innovation on that. Like, oh, but what if these things didn't look like shit, basically? Um, but I, I don't I don't think that quite works. Yeah, but we, we just don't get any actual evidence that the these that that is what's going on it's just the robots appear to just be robots that that's all there really seems to be going on with them yeah and the the reason i kind of wanted to do that in my head was that there's there's a kind of maybe a double symmetry because like um again like uh, hinterland in the past contrasted with metropole in the future and but then in Flynn's world, there is there is a metropole like DC, New York, LA, that kind of shit, right? Um, where similar excesses of capitalist craziness happen there, and then it it's it suggests uh, a mirror in the future where the apparent singular metropole would actually have its con- counterpart hinterland. But but again, not nothing on screen actually suggests that. Like that that's just something that popped into my head. Um, yeah, and I, I think that really the, the, the parallel, the symmetry between the two is that um, the stub is a simulacrum of the past and the, the future London is um, also a simulacrum of the past, but in a different way, right? It, 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 it's, it's a... Um, public representation of the past as opposed to this private world that is um, completely encapsulated. And, you know, it's um, from the future, the people in the stub can get power and technology and the people in the future can get sort of a sense of purpose and life from this simulation of, of the past, which, which is enclosed in itself, right? It, it, it allows them to have some sort of sense of an outside to this horrible Baudrillardian mm-hmm. nightmare world that yeah, they live in. Right? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And even, even though it's still a simulacrum, it feels 
authentic to everyone involved. Yeah, and for for, for Lobby or Ash and all these these folks, right? Like they they're 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 trying to do something positive with that. Um, and, and like the 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 characters in the past never have this crisis moment of oh my god, I'm just a computer program. Oh my god, I'm just uh, I'm just a simulacrum. I'm not real. That that is something they never go through because I guess just the world around them is so real to them and is treated as a real thing by the people from the future that like it kind of doesn't matter in a practical sense, assuming the servers keep running in China. <laughs> but we we never get anything about the servers in China. It's just, oh, it's that classic like Gibson thing of like, you know, Asia is another planet, like it is alien and has it 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 has it's not really connected to the rest of the world. No, yeah. Um, it's it's very um it's very of a piece with the sort of um orientalism of of early cyberpunk is just yeah it's like you know he's one of the guys who really got it started and hasn't really moved on from it it seems (laughs) (laughs) yeah um see i i actually got the impression that um my way of of thinking of the the stub is that um that it it is in fact an entire real world it's just that like I i think if they disconnected the server i think the Flynn's world would continue to exist. It's just that, like, the reason it branches off from their reality is just, like, that's what quantum reality does when information collides, you know? Um, you get what I mean? Like, when you, to- when you toss a coin, it does the fucking two-split two realities thing, you know? Yeah, 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 right. But then, I, like... You'd no, you'd no no way to verify that though, you know. Yeah, it, it's like you know, it's very much like if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? Kind of problem, right? Like it is, it is like okay, so you know, this is like a configuration of reality you can ex- access through this specific machine, but I think it would be kind of unknowable whether outside of the observer that actually existed or not you know it's it's like it's very under described and probably for good reason which is that you know gibson was not interested in 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 discussing the mechanics of how this works but i i think you're right that that it is more than simply a computer program it is act it is a it's like, it's like, you know, in that sort of like Stafford beer sense of like, well, reality is like the computer program performing itself, right? Like it is, it, 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 it's, it, it, it's a configuration of matter and energy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess there's, there's a sort of ambiguity in the language used, right? Cause like when they say the connection, um, that could mean a couple of things, right? It could be, it could be that the, the server in China makes a connection to the past, and like both the server and the past exist separately of each other, like they're they're not strictly dependent. Or you could say that you are making a connection from your laptop to the server in China, and the the contents of the server are totally fictional. Or it could be both, right? Like you you connect to one which connects to the other. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They could become disconnected. They, you know. Yeah, they, it, it's not really clear. And I guess in that sense, it is not purely a simulacrum. Uh, the, um, 
the past. It is a past. It, and that way the authenticity it offers is, I guess, a little bit more um, believable uh, for everyone involved. Um, even though they're aware that uh, there is, even though they're aware that it's not their past anymore. Although, like, it, it is treated as a simulacrum. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's done and gone for them. Like, it is treated as a simulacrum by the enthusiasts, right? And like, um, like Lobier drops this detail that like she knows of another enthusiast who actually basically treats it like a video game, and his his hobby is to just start wars in the past and just watch the massacres. Yes. And, and like you would with that uh, like totally accurate battle simulator on your PC, right? Like the that that stupid game where you just get like thousands of of of, of creatures to fight each other or whatever. Which it kind of mirrors what um, the games that Flynn was playing—the kind of detailed simulation of World War II combat. You know, um, it's a very similar thing, except that's an actual it's an actual reality they're fucking with. Yeah, and like um, Lobier. Uh, one of the weapons that she has is like kind of a trump card because um, it was developed by that person and one of their stubs. And therefore it's like not a part of weapons development, like in the present uh, sort of out in the open. Um, and, and, and so like there's this, this thing about colonizing the past that uh, Gibson is, is interested in Um and uh, that's like a, a pretty good example of that. Like, well, it's it sort of exactly uh, parallels the use of uh, uh, war in uh, colonial or in colonized uh, places um, to do arms development for the metropole, right? Yeah, right. That's that's the one of the yeah that that's one of the gruesome fucking details of what that guy is up to. Is that like it's a way of developing fucking weapons throughout here. Um, and I just, like, it's, it's such a crazy fucking thought that somebody's hobby is, um, they log on to this server and, um, get somebody to unleash smallpox there and just watch <laughs> the camera feeds, you know, <laughs> that's their, that's how they make fun, you know, um, fucking hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, but you know, that's again, a, a characteristic of, uh, uh, of, um, colonial violence is that you like, you dehumanize the colonized right um and 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 subject them to experimentation um violence uh whatever amuses you um yeah yeah speaking of um the really dark kind of super weapon stuff that's in this um there's a subplot in the future where they're like in in Lev's house they have like a like a, a pram like a baby's buggy that has like a this autonomous weapon system that like if the baby is threatened it'll like clamshell up and then unleash a swarm of nanobots to just devour whoever's around it um and yeah, so they're... these these illegal weapons <laughs> these illegal weapons i think it was like from Lev's baby buggy or something yeah something like that it was just like cuz it was, cause it was like lobby. his dad's thing that he was using against his enemies more than Le like because Lev wasn't using this for his family uh, because it was so illegal, right? It was just in the lobby of one of the houses or something. I think it was in, yeah, it was the lobby of the dad's house or something. Um, and like, Netherton notices this thing and he's like, fucking hell. Um, but like, they, they, they have to like take it and put it inside one of these like sealed 
like it's it's like a it's like a Rolls Royce that like can see, hermetically seal its interior environment, and they put a peripheral in there to like do the operation to remove these like nano nanobot guns, um, yes. without without endangering the rest of the people around, um, which which and those the- yeah because there's there's sort of this um, pervasive like fear in the background of like a gray goo scenario, like like the. Um, the party that they go to at the end of the, at the end of the book, um, one of the things that's going on there, one of the sort of salacious things that's going on there is that, uh, the people, the owners are engaging in sort of like wanton, uh, use of, of, of replicators and nanobots to just be able to like walk through walls and shit. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of implied that the reason why this is prohibited is because everybody's terrified that there's going to be like a replicators get out of control and destroy everything problem. Right. Like the, 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 um, what do they call them? Assemblers or something They're they're kept under. Yeah. Assemblers. Yeah. Yeah. They have yeah. fairly strict protocol. Um, and yeah, at that, but like the, there's this, yeah, there's the thing where the guy just walks clean through the fucking wall and is like, oh, what? Um. But yeah, they've they've disabled the protocol inside that building and stuff, um, and that that is the sort of I guess it's the culmination of the the book, right? That like um, they uh, Netherton manages to get himself an invite to Daedra's party, uh, which is a sort of like funeral send off for Alita, who's still pre- missing, presumed dead. Flynn does accompany in the body of the peripheral, uh, gets a positive ID on the person that was on the balcony, um, who you know he and Daedra turn out to be in collusion. They sort of um, uh, abduct uh, Netherton and, and Flynn and barrel them off to the back rooms and then try to get them out of there and all that kind of shit. Um, yeah, th- there's the nice detail of Daedra hiring a voice actress to pilot a peripheral that looks like her to give a speech at the funeral for her sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while while she's got Netherton and and Flynn at gunpoint, like bringing them to the back rooms or whatever. Yes, she's <laughs> <laughs> very fun. Um, because it's like, like how inauthentic can you get in terms of your 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 uh, your mourning, right? Yeah. What's quite lovely is that like um, so Flynn is Flynn is brought there under the pretense that she's actually one of these neo primitivist curators that's um, telepresencing in because she's she's just too busy otherwise or whatever. Um, they implant like a bullshit module in the peripheral's brain so that she can kind of like convincingly talk about like the um, you know situating uh, art in the um, yada 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 academic speak. But the- yeah, it's 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 like the it's like a a theory theory module. It allows you to do theory speak. Um, uh, when it, when a sort of verbal trigger comes that activates it and it just sort of moves your mouth for you, uh, without, uh, you having any, any conscious relationship to what you're saying. Um, <laughs> it's funny that the ruse falls apart immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> clean through it. Um, so, I mean, they're abducted and they're barreled off and that kind of thing. And it turns, it, in, in the end, turns out that, um, the perpetrator is, um, is actually the leader of the the Patchers, right? Like um, Hamad Al Habib, um, and it's it's a big kind of scam where he and Daedra and the City Remembrancer are kind of colluding to sell off the garbage patch as as real estate. Um, and he he had to like stage his own death 
and to be able to like withdraw to yeah you know all that kind of stuff um there's a bunch of layers of obfuscation but it's all just kind of like a real estate scam and like the and like al habib is basically just like you know kind of like a a, a scam artist um and then the city remembrancer is in some kind of financial distress uh, this is like the city of london like the the corporation of the city of London, right? Like this uh, utterly undemocratic, uh, feudal remnant uh, that has become like the core of British capitalism. And in this future is like, is sort of in a, in a parody way, like becomes like the entire British government, more or less. It's like the, the, the deep state at the center of everything. And that's that's why Lobier is so interested in figuring out this case because she does she I think initially suspects that it's the Remembrancer and Deidre that are involved here and that Alicia probably yes because she's she's like she basically works for the city of London and and it's kind of just like cleaning house inside of it that's her her motive yeah because um, Al Habib gets vaporized by one of these um, buggy guns and what happens to the Remembrancer does he get does he get arrested or killed I don't know. Uh, I believe she is arrested. I believe she's arrested. I think, I think, yeah, because I think Al Habib gets killed. Daedra just gets like put into a big, like scary amusement park ride and is like not very impressed because her dad is a rich, uh, powerful American who like got really rich and powerful from the jackpot. Um, and, and so she's like beyond, like she's, she's untouchable, right? Like she can't, she's beyond, uh, uh, beyond the law, um, in any, any place. Um, and, and then the city remembrancer, I think, I think Lobier brings him in. Oh, no, hold on. I've, I've got the Wikipedia here. Um, uh, yeah, both, both Hamad and Sir Henry are eaten down to the bone by machines. Um, so... <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's right, because they have, like, an extra gruesome way to kill the city remembrancer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, that sort of wraps up the case. And then I think the last chapter to kind of follow a couple of years later in Flynn's timeline. Um, and it's, it's all kind of happily ever after, you know. Um, they're, they're, doing, they're doing just fine. Yeah, it's a very weirdly optimistic dystopian ending um because it's like okay i mean we have this future london that is essentially like a parody of current london like it's it's like oh okay gentrification is driving everybody out of the city what if there were no people in the city um you know uh the city of london is running the country what if it were really running the country? <laughs> yeah right uh you know just it, like there are these massive excavations under people's houses in Notting hill uh what if they were like so big that you could drive a massive land yacht into them um you know th this this kind of stuff uh you just it gives it just amps it up a bit uh but you have that future which is the result of the jackpot and everybody like you or I dying horrible deaths um, with no, no prospects of it ever, ever really ending. Right. It's there, there is no future for this world. Right. It's, it's, it's at the end of history. Um, and um, you know, that would have been the future of the stub, but because people from this dystopian future 
do like a Posadist operation. <laughs> like be- because because like the combined like you know FBI, CIA, NSA analog come and do a Posadist op in the past to like save the world. Uh, become this vanguard, like the good ones, the good cops come back with their their special magical technology. They're able to leverage the chaos of this like pre um, pre jackpot world in such a way that it goes towards like a more utopian future um, instead of just you know sticking with the bad state it was in or getting even worse. Um, so it's like only, you know, the space aliens from the future or, you know, the Superman from the future could change things in such a way that our future isn't just the jackpot. There's nothing in that in that like scenario, the starting condition that would do anything other than produce the jackpot. But that intervention after the jackpot into that reality is what makes the difference. Yeah, and like specifically Lobier having enough information to be able to make these decisions and steer steer the future. Because like I think like Yeah, it, and and technological and, and sort of political power in her time. And is it her is it her or is it Wilf that kind of makes I don't know, kinda makes the case that like the jackpot happened because, you know, it's like it, it was an accumulation of small things and it maybe could have been possible if everyone got their shit together um, to avert it. But like nobody got their shit together. I think it's Will. I, uh, yeah. Will, it's Wolf who's talking about that. Yeah. yeah. And that, it, you know, in the end, the workers didn't do communism. You know, they, did, they, they didn't respond with a kind of green revolution to, to the things or whatever. And everything just got shittier and shittier. Um, and so what they're introducing there is like, well, we've got our shit together. We can intervene on your behalf to get your shit together. Yes. Yeah. Like our little conspiracy in the future is so powerful because of the, the you know, the, the development of the means of production in our time that like in this very like special circumstances, like, you know, culture way, they can do this intervention. Um and 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 change uh that so it's 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 very revolution from above um uh and not just from above but from the future <laughs> from beyond <laughs> yeah it, um, the the the, the, the Posadas comparison is perfectly correct it's the vanguard from outside of history like that just magically fucking changes everything yes so it is it is like it is a very optimistic, like happy ending. But if you read it within the context of like our situation and what Gibson is extrapolating from, it's like there. It's it's very very pessimistic and dystopian. Yeah, because with with the jackpot and the way it turns out, like the, the the kind of shit we've been going on about for this entire fucking series, you know, of like getting our shit together um, and doing revolution to make better world none of that shit pans out <laughs> like fucking none of it um yeah like in a very short period of time like everything just gets taken over by warlords and everything is disease and 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 runaway climate catastrophes mass extinction events all of that stuff and there's nothing there's 
in that state of free fall, there's nothing that can... You can't catch the knife once it's falling, is, is kind of what it is. Yes, yeah. that, that is the thesis. Yes, that is the thesis, for sure. Um, so yeah, fantastically grim fucking material, really, despite the, the happy ending, uh, supposedly. Yeah, it is just such a strange juxtaposition of, you know, happily ever after with that uh, implication uh, that I don't think I've ever really encountered in a book before. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's singular, right? This this is a fucking strange little book, um, and I don't know, like it it really it really stands out to me as um, as like a really a really great piece of um, science fiction and, and cyberpunk, but also I just think it's it's an inter- it's an entertaining little read, you know, um, and. Uh, I guess because it's not classic cyberpunk, it doesn't get remarked on very much. Um, it's just one of those things that happened in 2014, all those many years ago. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, God almighty, that's almost 10 fucking years ago. I, like, I, I, <laughs> while I was reading this yes. and while, while we've been recording, I kept thinking like, oh yeah, like five years ago in 2014. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's Yeah, I, I, I was thinking like... Um... You know, seeing that note at the end that it's like, oh, written by William Gibson, Vancouver, 2014. And I was just thinking back to when I was in Vancouver in 2014 and being like, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I'm just realizing, like, I've, th- this book, like, it, I've, it's, 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 it's in a time frame. It's, it's as long as I've known my wife, you know? And I, I could have sworn mm. this was a lot more recent than that. I did not think that this was... I did not think that 2014 was that year. I don't know. It's a brain yeah, scrambler. I mean, it's before Trump got elected, right? Yeah, so. right. It belongs to a totally different era, right? Like, it just... That fucking... We just passed through the fucking iris of 2016, and um, <laughs> everything on the other side of it feels different for some fucking reason. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do we have much else? Um, uh... I think I think we've covered the interesting parts. Um, th- there's a lot of the, just the fun bits, like the, like the the thing about like the legally purchased cigarette. Like, please tell me the backstory of what the fuck that's about. You know, um, and every page has one of those things on it. Yeah, all of the like sort of weird, peculiar like things from the home, Department of Homeland Security. Um, like, yeah, they call them homes uh, and. <laughs> It, it's it's very like um what is that uh what's that uh, agency in uh in the u.s um uh fema Fe- yeah, yeah 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 like the, the sort of like fema emergency supplies but it's like become kind of ubiquitous by that point that that's just sort of like almost like in you know like like how like the 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 Roman emperor would sort of like hand out things to the pearls of Rome. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the vibe. Uh, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, it's, it's like military surplus, but that's also kind of just like the baseline of material reality that you live with. Yeah. There's, there's another sort of, well, it's a couple of details from the book that are like, I just, I just love where it's like the, um, the characters are confronted with like baffling technology. So like the, in the, in the opening couple of scenes, the drones that come down and shred all the patchers where Netherton just describes it as like, there were, 
you know, these black cylinders that are, appeared from out of nowhere. And then there was like orange mist <laughs> and then everyone was dead, you know, this kind of thing. Um, very like beyond your comprehension. And then there's like, when, when Flynn is being rescued from the kidnapping, she's like sitting there on like her hands are tied with the, with these zip ties. And she just sees like what seems from the description, it seems like they're just like squares of light that like are projected on the wall, like a, a, a blue and a red square of light, like, like from like fucking 3d glasses or something. And they just like converge on the table in front of her. And then the light cuts her zip ties somehow. And she's like, she's sitting there going like, what the fuck? You know? Um, and, <laughs> yes. And it's, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a drone that's made of light or something that's being piloted by one of her friends to like get her out of there. And I, I love those kinds of things where you as a, as a reader have no chance of getting this. But the character all yeah, also nor, doesn't nor understand do, it. Yeah, nor does the character, yeah. yeah. Like, what the fuck is this thing, you know? Um, um, there's some of that towards the end, I guess, in the final scene, well, the, the, the climax sort of scene with the rescue, where, like, there's there's a, there's a some weird technology involved. Um, yeah, and, it's very funny because, like, there's this technology that was used to, like... So they're talking about these you know, mansions, underground mansions under people's houses, oligarchs' houses in London, right? Which are a real thing that exists and um, how the excavating machines uh, for building those were just, like, buried underground because they couldn't get them out again um, or it was too expensive to do it. So it's sort of like, you know... The, the the workers on the pyramids who are buried with the pyramid, right? With the pharaoh, right? Um, and uh, they had assemblers that went in and, like, took all the material from those um, excavators and put them at, like, reassembled them in parks as sort of, like, fun displays for kids to play with. Um and this technology is used uh, by Lobier and company to hide those those uh, uh, the 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 baby buggy guns uh, inside of the chair uh, at this like recreated Newgate um, where uh, uh, Flynn is being interrogated. And then it just like the chair just sort of disassembles and oh, there's a, you know, uh uh, a, a massive murder gun for you just hidden in the in the chair so it's very like you know the oligarchs uh uh own technology comes back to bite them in the ass right it's it's very like poetic justice kind of situation absolutely right and i i, do, I love that little scene because like it's the confusion is so palpable of like the chair melts and then like the assemblers they melt the chair and move the gun into her hand into her grip at the same time <laughs> And she's like point pointing. Yeah, to it's like here you go. <laughs> All you got to do is press the trigger, yeah. and then Habib just fucking vaporizes in front of her. Um, um, anyway, I love that kind of palpable confusion whenever it happens. Because um, yeah, it it would be an overwhelming and weird future. Yeah, and then I guess we said we would just mention something about the television series. Um, we did not. Uh, we we. I, I only watched the first episode. Do I believe you also watched the first episode? Yeah, I just I just watched the first one. It's so fucking weird. It's so weird. Um, it, it it you know everything we said about this being sort of like late Gibson, you know, second, third generation cyberpunk, whatever. Um, 
it does not really apply to the television series of the peripheral. They just sort of like, like took the narrative of the book and then like sandwiched in a bunch of like first generation cyberpunk stuff. Like, you know, like literally the plot line of Johnny Mnemonic, um, like stuff from the matrix, weird stuff about Flynn being the chosen one and embracing her destiny. It's like so weird. It, 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 it's, it's just like, I don't, I don't have anything against like adaptations being, you know, divergent from the source material, but you have to make it better in some way. And this feels like just strange. Um, I, I was, I was totally flummoxed by, uh, the, the first episode I watched and it kind of just turned me off of watching the rest of it. Cause I was like, like, what are these people doing? Like this doesn't have anything pertinent to the book to discuss. <laughs> I know. Right. Like, I mean, I, I'm not in a rush to watch the rest of it. I think I might, um, if I have nothing else to do, but I'm not in a big rush to do it. Um, I, I can sort of understand that they needed to gin it up a little bit to make it a bit more Hollywood because um, the book is quite slow. Like, I mean, by the time you're getting to, like, as far as I, as far as I remember, like, it's at the halfway point at which Flynn finally does the peripheral thing and actually goes to the future. Um, I think it's about the halfway point that, yeah, and then a little bit after that she learns about what the jackpot is, right? Yeah, that's, that's towards the end of the book where, like, I think she gets the full explanation. The full explanation of the jackpot is like quite late, but then yeah, I, it's like sixty-five percent through the book or something, you know. But like they totally front loaded in this thing because like one of the characters just fucking says it to her, like, "Oh, by the way, you're going to be fucked pretty soon." Like, yeah, like they just they they take all of the suspense and the mystery and just like just just take it out behind the back of the building and shoot it, you know, just. Up oh, here's here's the premise. Here it is. Whereas like that's kind of one of the big draws to continue to read the book is figuring out what the hell is going on when everything seems so sinister around you, right? Um, it's very sort of like uh, you know like in a, a a thriller or a suspense novel, and and I I think that like they could have just gone that direction because the chapters are so short. Um, and, and you could just cut out a bunch of stuff that is, you know, novel stuff that wouldn't go into a screenplay and it would work just fine. Um, it, it doesn't need to be this like weird, weird ass Johnny mnemonic 90s cyberpunk uh, story. Yeah, there's, there's, um, there's way too it's much. It's very of that. strange. There's far too much of that. And there's far too much of the um, uh, like the I just the, the sort of like character power sort of stuff of like you know she's a in when she's in the peripheral she's a badass and that kind of shit um yeah i don't know it's it's i i I do i agree i think you could have just done an adaptation like pretty straight like and and kept that kind of mystery the whodunit sort of stuff um without uh, i don't know yeah it's um also alita west is very alive for a lot of it it's fucking weird right uh, in that first episode yeah yeah and, and like she's like I, a main character rather than somebody who gets marked you know yeah and it, it, it's 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 so strange um it's a very very weird adaptation um feels like some things they did were like maybe 
good ideas in principle. Other things are like sorely misguided. Maybe they didn't trust their audience. Um, maybe they didn't trust their own ability to make a like suspenseful show. Um, it's really, really strange. Yeah, I think that the, the trust the audience thing is the thing that stands out to me. That like this, this is one of those things that doesn't trust the audience. Like it's it's not doing the I don't know the fucking the the the, the thing we like. You know where it it has some confidence in its in its viewers. You know, mm-hmm. it's not doing that. Um, yeah, it, it ends up feeling very much like a sort of combination between that like ninety cyberpunk and like a. Uh, a sort of like Tom Clancy cyber espionage thriller, um, like sort of like that. Uh, what is it? The um, um, the Tom Clancy adaptation that Amazon, I think it was Amazon did. Um, Jack Ryan, the Jack Ryan show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of got that vibe to it. Um, yeah, because like the peripheral that she ends up in is this chisel. It's it's a version of Burton, right? Like it's this chiseled guy dude sort of fucking thing who does backflips and stuff. It's very funny. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, which is kind of like a seed that you get, but it's not with Burton in the book. It's with Connor, right? So it's just, it's just so weird. Uh, yeah. It's like it's like you ran the peripheral through like a sort of like AI chatbot thing and it came up with an alternative version yeah, of it. <laughs> like, mixed with like an article summarizer, you know, just condenses everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I'm I'm curious to see how the next episode goes, but I'm I'm not in a huge rush. Um not in a huge rush for it. Um also, like, I mean, London is way more populated than it should be. Because, like, one of, one of the big things that Flynn notices is that, like, almost none of the lights are on. Um, and there are no cars on the road. But, like, the flyover shots, there's there's loads of lights on, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's like, did she really... Did you read the book? Anyway. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think overall... I guess what we could take away from this is that, like, it is an interesting post-capitalist future, a dystopia, um, you know, one that kind of says some interesting things about our relationship to the past, our relationship to to historical simulation, uh, and just that sort of interesting idea of, like, the shit we're going through right now is not the X crisis, the Y crisis, but just, it's just the jackpot. Like it's like, I, I like that idea because it is like to say that we are in the climate crisis is such a like narrow description of the nature of the crisis we're in. Like it is, it is a major element of that crisis but there are so many other dimensions as well uh, that that just giving it a sort of catch-all name uh, seems to like validate the complexity of it uh, without erasing the horror mm-hmm. of it. You know? Yeah, totally. I mean, also, like, have you noticed on Twitter, like, people are using the term omnicrisis or polycrisis at the moment, and I think they should replace it with jackpot. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's basically, yeah, basically what the jackpot gets at, yeah. 
Ooh, hold the fuck on. I just noticed. I've, I've been in the background here. I've been just scrolling through William Gibson's um, Wikipedia page. And it's got the selected works at the end. And it's got, you know, the Bridge Trilogy and all that kind of shit. And then it's got Jackpot Trilogy, right? The, perif- the Peripheral. Oh, <laughs> we didn't even know it was in a trilogy. <laughs> no, we're too stupid for the shit. But, um... Oh, my God. <laughs> the Peripheral in 2014, Agency 2020, and then Jackpot to be, de- to be Decided. Oh, I see. So he's still writing the Jackpot book. I see. Fuck me. That's good. Oh, we got to, I'm going to read Agency next. That's cool. That's that's the, the standard of research you can expect from general intellect <laughs> unit, I guess. But uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully we have shed some light on this uh, unusual quarter of science fiction and what William Gibson's late uh, career work. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think it has many positive lessons for us, which is usually what we're all about. But um, it's- yeah, I mean, it's very Gibson, like it's very lib. Like, like, you know, the good cops will save us um, kind of shit. Oh, and like the inflection, the inflection point for avoiding the jackpot is preventing the assassination of the president or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I laughed out loud when I saw that. I was like, like, I kind of understand the idea of like in the sort of the assassination of the Archduke Ferdinand and that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, it is... It is. It is also just makes me think of bad dudes, like, you know, just are you a bad enough dude to save the president? I thought that was the direction that the story was going to take, like, just, just you know, Flynn and company get like weaponized by Lobier as like the badass special ops team to save the president. Um, and who who knows? Maybe that is what happens in Agency, but but it's not what happens in the peripheral. No. <laughs> Oh, shit. Anyway. <laughs> uh, good fun. Um, yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for coming along with us, listeners. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, uh, maybe you've read the book. Maybe you've enjoyed it vicariously. Um, it's all fine. Um, the... Uh, I don't know, we should probably figure out what we're going to do next, but while you wait for that, you can catch us on Twitter, if it still exists, at GIUnitPod. Um, we're on all the podcast apps so subscribe and do all that kind of stuff download some of the last the previous episodes um they're approximately as good as this one um i wonder if we could interfere with them from the future and you know go back and talk ourselves into you know what we we can we can use the magic of editing (laughs) (laughs) we act we actually can interfere from the future in this episode (laughs) oh it'd be real fun to feed um feed an episode into one of these ai grinders and see what the fuck comes out (laughs) (laughs) the general intellect unit auto-generated podcast oh god Just, just see your doppelganger on the screen. That's a weird. Yeah, exactly. that's a weird concept. Yeah, <laughs> I would not like that. <laughs> it would be no good. <laughs> <laughs> if you, uh, if you want to support the show and you know help us buy books and get access to our community Discord, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/GeneralIntellectUnit. Throw us a couple of bucks a month. Um, it'll help keep the lights on um, as we as we start into the jackpot. Uh, well, you know, the, it's, what is it? The, uh, the future is already here. It's just differently distributed, uh, unevenly distributed, uh, that, you know, I feel like that especially applies to the UK <laughs> when it comes to the jackpot. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that, that's the situation you're in. Yeah. Uh, unfortunate. Yeah. Um, 
Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll be um we'll be getting a preview of everything to come for everyone else. Um, the uh, we're also part of a network of podcasts. Um, so if you go to emancipation.network, uh, check out our sister shows, um, Swampside Chats, From Alpha to Omega, Jumpsuit Utopia, and Mortal Science. They're all fantastic. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do we got anything else? Is that the entire readout that I never write down? Uh, well, I would just say, um, yeah, enjoy your. Uh end of your uh celebrations and uh yes uh we'll be back in 2023 oh dear yeah um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the future is so much <laughs> it's so much and so fast um <laughs> yes it's it's too it's a it's a red and green uh, square of light that converge <laughs> um, and do something magical Ooh. oh dear <laughs> Uh, Oh well Um, Yeah, thanks for listening We'll catch you again soon Bye-bye Bye